Hi, this is Glenn Rawson. One of the most powerful ways to share history and heritage is by the telling of stories. We began sharing inspiring stories nearly 30 years ago. Each of those stories is true and was intended to inspire and strengthen faith. Over the years, those stories have reached millions around the world. This podcast is for you to listen, learn, and enjoy. For any of you that are high priests, listen carefully to this story or are married to a high priest. June 4th, 1831, some 62 men assembled for a priesthood conference as commanded by revelation in a little log schoolhouse on the Morley Farm just outside of Kirtland, Ohio. They came with high expectation as a previous revelation from the Lord had promised that his spirit would be poured out on the men in that conference. They came expecting a Pentecostal experience. Joseph Smith opened that meeting. Now, the meeting would go for like three days. Joseph Smith opened the meeting and began to preach. According to John Whitmer, who was the church historian at the time, quote, the spirit of the Lord fell upon Joseph in an unusual manner. Joseph prophesied that John the Revelator was then among the ten tribes of Israel to prepare them for their return. He further declared that at the close of the conference, that elders commanded by revelation were to begin their missionary labors. Then Joseph looked at Lyman White, who was a convert from there in Ohio, and promised him right in the meeting that he would see the Lord in that meeting. Joseph then laid his hands on Elder Lyman White and for the first time ordained a man to the high priesthood, or in other words, ordained him a high priest. Joseph proceeded to ordain others, as did Lyman White, and then called on White to speak. Lyman White stood up and manifested that he saw the Savior. At Joseph's direction, Lyman began then ordaining other men to the same office while Joseph did the same, when all of a sudden, a different spirit manifested itself in the room. Two men, Harvey Whitlock and John Murdoch, seemed suddenly bound by some force that acted on their bodies and speech in a most unusual manner. Hiram Smith looked at it and said, Joseph, this is not of the Lord. And Joseph said, don't speak against this. Again, this is new territory for most of them. And Hiram insisted, unless the Lord owns it, this is not of God. Joseph bowed his head for a moment and then raised up, stepped forward, laid his hands on Harvey Whitlock's head and cast out the evil spirit. At that moment, the evil spirit left Whitlock, standing just outside of the cabin, looking in through the window, was Lehman Copley, the man who would be coming an apostate and causing such grief among the saints. Lehman Copley was suddenly struck by the evil spirit. He tipped forward through the window into the cabin and flew across the cabin room 
flipped upside down and fell on a bench. Lehman Copley was said to be a man about six feet tall and about 200 pounds who was handled like a child. He was quickly administered to, and the evil spirit left him, then took another man who fell to the floor and screamed like a panther, and on it went for the rest of the day and into the evil evening. The forces of evil seizing those in attendance and the men of the priesthood rescuing them each in turn. I suppose that would be a priesthood meaning never to be forgotten. And for those of you who have squared off with the evil one or his minions, you know what this looks like. You know what this feels like. And some of you know that the Lord Almighty has greater power than evil. But why? Why? would the Lord permit such a thing to happen in a meeting opened by prayer and conducted by prophets and the Spirit of the Lord? Perhaps it's this, Joseph Smith would later say, in fulfillment of Paul's prophecy, that in the last days, the man of sin would be revealed. The man of sin was revealed on that day. Lucifer was shown forth to those men in all of his evil glory. The men understood that not only is God real and Jesus is the Christ, but the devil is real too and that he has power. And I suppose it's inherent in that. Don't mess with him. Now, while some may cringe at my telling of this story, the men who were there counted the day's events a great blessing and a miracle. For now they understood better than they ever could have before the spirit of the evil one. Before this event, they could not discern between a good spirit and a bad one. Now in Kirtland, they knew. That day, saw not only the first ordinations to the office of high priest in this dispensation, but it was also a turning point in the spiritual maturity of the young church and its priesthood officers. 1838, October. Amanda Barnes-Smith and her family were camped for a short time at Hans Mill on their way to far west Missouri. They were looking for their home free from persecution. Suddenly, on the afternoon of October 30th, a mob of about 250 men swept down on the unsuspecting villagers. When the massacre was over, 18 men and boys lay dead, including Amanda's husband, Warren, her 10-year-old son, Sardius, and another of her sons, Alma, had been shot at point-blank range, blowing away his hip joint and leaving him horribly wounded. Amid the terrible cries of the grieving, the wounded, and the dying, Amanda endured a long, dark night of terror as she ministered to the needs of her wounded son, expecting at any minute for the mob to return and finish their ghastly work of extermination. The next morning, now you know the story, I've talked about it in these firesides before, about Amanda and the massacre at Hans Mill. 
But the rest of this is the story that I didn't tell. The next morning, fearing that the mob would come back, the survivors gathered their beloved dead and dropped their bodies hurriedly into a dry well to keep them from being mutilated by the mob for bounty. While most of those left alive fled the state as fast as they could, Amanda couldn't. Her son Alma's wound made it not only impossible for him to get up, but for her to even move him. In the days and weeks that followed, the mob did indeed come back. They occupied Hans Mill, took it over, declared martial law as it were, took every bit of property that the saints had and confiscated it. They continued to harass her and the other women who were left behind, creating among these wonderful women a constant state of fear and apprehension. Prayer, Amanda said, was our only source of comfort, our Heavenly Father, our only helper. None, she said, but he could save and deliver us, end of quote. However, even access to prayer and their Father in Heaven was denied them when the mob came and announced that by orders of the captain, if they did not stop their prayers, every one of them would be killed. Our prayers were hushed in terror, Amanda said. We dared not let our voices be heard. This went on. And finally, to Amanda, the situation became unbearable. This godless silence, she said, was more intolerable than the night of the massacre, end of quote. Finally, when she could endure it no longer, Amanda stole down to a cornfield and there, hidden among the stalks of corn, raised her voice to heaven. We can only imagine the power and the heart of that prayer. She finished the prayer. As she arose and began to come out of the cornfield, a voice, not an impression, a voice as audible and plain as any voice she had ever heard, spoke to her and repeated a seldom sung verse of a familiar hymn. Quote, that soul who on Jesus hath leaned for repose, I cannot, I will not desert to his foes. That soul, though all hell, should endeavor to shake, I'll never, no, never, no, never forsake. Oh, my word. That seventh verse has stirred my soul so many times. The effect, from that moment on, Amanda said, I had no more fear. I felt that nothing, nothing could hurt me. Soon after her experience in the cornfield, the mob returned with an ultimatum that if she did not leave the state immediately, that she would be killed. On the appointed day that the mob had given, they returned and demanded to know why she had not left. 
she faced them boldly and demanded that they come inside the house and see what they had done to her son, the reason that she was unable to leave. The mobbers came in, gathered around Alma's bedside, and witnessed their grisly handiwork. They left without doing her any harm. I told you before about the miraculous healing of Alma Smith. And then, now, Amanda wanted to leave the state, but she couldn't. The mob had taken her horses. I did not fear the captain, she said. I had the Lord's promise that nothing should hurt me. The captain told her she could have her horses if she would pay $5 for the time he had kept them. Amanda said she didn't have any money. She refused to pay it. She walked out into the pasture, went right straight to her horse, threw a rope around its neck and led it away, and shortly thereafter left the state with her family. Amanda concluded her account with this testimony. The Lord had kept his word. The soul who on Jesus had leaned for succor had not been forsaken, even in this terrible hour of massacre. End of quote. I'm sorry. Evidently, some of you are putting up with haters and persecutors, and I will make sure to take care of that when I can, but I can't do it right now. Another remarkable story, and perhaps maybe the last one I'll share with you tonight, was again a story that was given me by Marianne Kirk, and I have her permission to share it. Clara Metzger was born August 15, 1886, in Ringershausen, Germany. She was the seventh child in a very religious family. Her family was so devout in their faith that Clara's father often assisted the priest in church affairs. Clara grew up with that same devotion, even considering for a time becoming a nun. Well, in time, she went to work in the home of a rather wealthy individual, learning the trade of a cook. Now, it was during that time, or right around that time, that she met a young man, and I, I struggle with this pronunciation. So, Marianne, if you're watching, I'm trying, okay? She met a young man by the name of Alois Hollingshouse. Now, at first, she was not very impressed with this former military officer and now postal worker because he showed no interest in her church. So she informed him that she would not marry any man that did not practice and believe as she did. All of a sudden, Alois started going to church and assisting the priest and became quite active in the faith. So the relationship continued, and Clara and Alois set a date to be married. Meanwhile, Clara continued to work, and she loved to read books. She read many of the books in the large library of the home where she worked. In time, she'd read many of those, and she wanted something different. Now, it just so happened that there was a woman by the name of Sophie Cryerly who came to the manor regularly and sold eggs and vegetables. Evidently, they knew each other. Clara asked Sophie if she had any books that Clara could read. Sophie asked her if she liked to read history, and Clara responded that she loved to read histories. 
without any introduction, explanation, preamble, nothing, Sophie handed Clara a copy of the Book of Mormon. Well, Clara began reading it, and she could hardly put it down. I'm quoting. She could hardly put it down. As she read the book, quote, such a feeling came over her. And even though it was hard for her to understand what she was reading, she felt compelled to finish it, which evidently she did. And then she waited anxiously for the day when Sophie would come back. Sophie returned. Well, how did you like the book? asked Sophie. Oh, I loved it, answered Clara, but the book isn't complete. There must be another book to go along with it. I can't bring you another book, Sophie said, but I can take you to where you can learn about it. Clara went with Sophie and began meeting with the missionaries and came to know that the message of the restored gospel was true with every fiber of her body and soul, end of quote. She was baptized in icy German waters, December the 10th, 1910. But what was she going to do now? How could she tell Alois that now she would not and could not marry him unless he was a member of this church, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. After struggling with it, evidently, she decided she couldn't. But the wedding day was drawing nearer. What was she going to do? Her conclusion? Run away. She bought a train ticket to London and began packing her bags to leave. As she was in the process of packing, there came a knock at the door. And when she opened up the door, there stood Alice. Now the two of them had had all along a regularly scheduled date night. But this was not it. What are you doing here? She asked. Alice explained that he was not going to be able to make their date as he had a meeting to attend that night. And he named the place where the meeting was being held. Clara knew that place. Why would you want to go there, she asked. That's where the Mormons meet, and they are baptizing that night, end of quote. We can only imagine her stunned surprise when Alois, Alois said, quote, that is why I'm going. I know the Mormons meet there, and I'm going to be baptized by the missionaries, end of quote. And again, imagine the joy Alois felt to learn that his beloved was already a member of the church that he intended to join. Alois was baptized April 22nd, 1911, and he and Clara were married the following May 3rd. As a result, both Alois and Clara were bitterly disinherited and angrily disowned by their families. In 1912, they immigrated to Utah, and in 1913 were sealed in the Salt Lake Temple, thus beginning a remarkable, exceptional life of temple service, doing the work for hundreds, perhaps thousands, of their kindred dead. My dear brothers and sisters, a witness of the Lord Jesus Christ and of the restored gospel always 
stirs up darkness. It always brings forth persecution and torment. That is and should be a witness that you're on the right course. Moreover, I testify to you, brothers and sisters, that when you stay the covenant course, when you stay on the covenant path, it isn't a matter of if you will witness signs, wonders, and miracles. It's just a matter of when it happens and how often. I bear witness to you. This church is the church of Jesus Christ. We have the Holy Ghost. We have the priesthood. We have the power and the keys of salvation inside this church. In the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. God bless you. Have a great week. See you soon. Thank you for listening. Many of the stories you heard today have been published and are archived at glenrossonstories.com. If you would like more information, you can communicate with us there. We will be back again with another podcast next week.